This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. That's the music that we love to hear. That means we are in here for another week with Playing It Forward. I always say this, and my partner makes fun of me because, well, you always say you like the music. I Mm -hmm. like the music because it lets me know that we're having another week. I don't know if I'm so happy about seeing you, but (laughs) I I do like to to have the show. It's been a couple weeks. How about that? We've been busy, though. It is. It has. It has been a very, very busy stretch. And with playing it forward, you know, we're always trying to stretch ourselves. Right. And broaden our horizons. I get to kill a couple of different birds with one stone this week. I feel like I'm going to get smarter. Well, I feel like you get smarter after every one of these, but I feel like today I'm going to learn You're going to get smarter? (laughs) So, so, So this is funny. Usually you and I kind of two alphas. Yeah. I think we should share credit for our next guest. That's fine. I mean, we a lot of times we have ideas. Yeah. We've been toying with this one. Yes. And mm-hmm. last week you said, you know what? Would This would be a good time. Right. Yeah. And you said, like hey, that. can you make that happen? And I said, well, I'll try to make it happen. <laughs> and we made it happen as we get the senior associate athletic director and director of diversity and equality. Did I get, or is it equity? There's a difference, right? Equity, yes, and inclusion. There is a distinct difference. If if you've heard, if you've heard me, my dissertation on the difference between equality and equity, um, I should know that it is equity. You Um, skipped the word inclusion is a part of the title too. That's a long title. Why are you always correcting me? Because I do. (laughs) Doctor Chatters joins us. Doctor Lawrence Chatters joins us from the university. My my alma mater, a former former Bellevue guy, an alum, just. All the good stuff. Dr. Chatters, good afternoon. How are you? I am just amazing today. First of all, thank you to both of you for the opportunity to be on the show and just share a little bit of my uh, uh, just absolute motivation and and inspiration and excitement with you about my new role. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Because I don't know if you could have picked a uh, challenging isn't the word, a more opportune time. Uh, to join Nebraska Athletics and that athletic department when you're talking about equity, inclusion, diversity. It has been a hot topic from 2020 heading in to 2021, and you've embraced it uh, at least early on. Talk a little bit about how we how did we get here? How, how did how did Doctor Chatters pop up on the radar? The one position. Then in Trev Albert's first 15 minutes of his introduction, a question was asked, hey, what about that position? Has it been filled yet? It was on the lips of many. Well, first of all, I I feel feel, uh, absolutely blessed to have the opportunity to be here at Nebraska. This is my second go-round here at Nebraska. My first was as an intern for the Big Ten Conference uh, for three years, um, and that was from about 2014 to 2017, and so – 
coming back to Nebraska athletics has, has been great. Um, but as you say, let's talk about the inflection point here. Let's talk about where these issues, especially within athletics really, uh, became amplified. Uh, that would have been the summer of 2020, the, uh, killing of George Floyd. But if we kind of transfer ourselves back to that year, it was a very difficult year for a number of reasons. Uh, Breonna Taylor, Ahmed Arbery, uh, names that will go down in history as reigniting, I think kind of a secondary movement of civil rights in our country, or at least increasing the awareness to other people who had not been along the journey as closely for many years in between the initial civil rights movement and the secondary movement. Um, but what I would say about that is that I think that athletes got involved again in a way that was incredibly um, visible. Again, uh, there was kneeling, of course, there's Colin Kaepernick. There's people who are really bringing attention with their platform to the plight of the people. And again, certainly want to give credit to the people who had been fighting for many, many years, people who are in inclusion and equity work. We say, yes, of course, people during the summer of 2020 were reignited, but we've kind of had this long-term burning flame throughout the time because this is work that needs to be done every day. And so, um, but it was an inflection point in our country that it just really brought the awareness to more people because of what we had a chance to see and what we witnessed and how the platform uh, that athletes had was utilized to bring more attention as well. So I think there was a lot of focus on it. And so what I will say is that during that time frame within the Nebraska athletic department, there were student athletes. Uh, there were people who uh, wanted to continue raising awareness about these issues in this department. And there was an individual by the name of Dewan Baker, who was in the role before mm. me, um, who was working as a director uh, within the life skills department. And he was working closely with our student athletes here to make sure that they had a chance to voice their uh, opinions on what was happening, that they had an opportunity to organize and become one with campus to really continue to raise awareness. And honestly, I think it was, uh, within that spirit from a foundational component that led to the elevation of the role from a director position to a senior associate athletic director position so that that person could essentially have more access to the entire department mm. and have space within the executive team here uh, to make sure that policy, practice, uh, just our way moving forward from a strategic perspective, all considered diversity, equity, and inclusion, and justice, of course, which is what we were talking about initially. Mm. Uh, so, and that's kind of how that job came to be. Now, I was uh, fortunate enough um, at the time uh, when the uh, announcement came out for this job to be the chief diversity officer and also the vice president for student affairs um, at uh, Midland University in Fremont. And so I was able to apply for the role, which honestly was uh, my dream job because it was an opportunity to work in athletics with really high-end student athletes that are you know, really going through a unique process of their own in college, developing and understanding different aspects of the world and, and really not only work with them, but also high end coaches and staff that work in athletics as well and working across campus and in the community to help raise people's awareness, provide workshops and trainings and just make Nebraska athletics a competitively inclusive athletic department for everyone that works here and student athletes that choose to go here. So it was really a dream opportunity for me. Um, and it happened to work out. Is it, you said competitively inclusive. That's the two. I like that. I like that. I, I, that's what I want to kind of focus on. How do you do that? Yeah, that's a really good question. So to become, in, you know, competitively inclusive, 
first and foremost, you have to be educated. You have to understand all these different aspects of diversity and culture. And you have to understand what inclusivity looks like. You have to understand what the process of a person feeling like they belong in a space looks like, not only from an educational perspective, but just also from a psychological perspective. And so it takes a lot of training. Um, It takes a lot of awareness raising. It takes a lot of uh, workshops that our uh, staff and student athletes are going to go through. It takes lots of opportunities to get to know each other. Um, We know about from the research that championship caliber teams are able to break down barriers that uh, traditionally would keep people apart from getting to know each other. That's why they go to battle together. And that's why they fight for each other because they recognize that although there are differences between them, they have one united goal. Any fortune 500 company that has a, an inclusive environment has really tried, you know, to break down these barriers and create an inclusive environment where people can be who they are and they celebrate that. And so we're going through that process and we're doing it strategically. We're doing it with the help of the office of diversity and inclusion here on campus. We work in concert with, uh, all of our different uh, specific areas on campus that focus in on different aspects of diversity as well to provide us with training, best practice information, uh, workshops, things like that, that our staff will be uh, taking. We've actually committed to this year, not only from a, a, you know, hey, I've sent out information regarding what our commitment is, but also from an evaluative perspective. So that's the other part of your culture that you have to build is that it has to be important to your annual evaluation that you go through these practices and you're required to do these things in order to continue to move toward this competitive inclusiveness. And so we're in that process now. Um, we're kind of doing it in a um, stepwise pr- uh, uh, way in that we're starting this year with everyone is required to have at least three um, hours of training and focus on justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Um And so we're starting there and uh, we're going to continue to ratchet that up every year. But I would hope that people would also um, do these things on their own, too, so that it's not just a requirement for work. Uh, But when you create that foundation and the expectation that people have to do these things and that we're going to provide them with uh, great uh, speakers, uh, teachers and opportunities to engage in these areas, that's how you start to build that competitively inclusive environment in your department. Yeah, I don't think there was any hyperbole when mm-hmm. Mike Salter said he feels like he was going to get smarter. <laughs> uh, as we're talking with Dr. Lawrence Chatters uh, from the University of Nebraska, who is uh, the, the Senior Associate Athletic Director. And one of the things, Dr. Chatters, I think it's really important to know, it's not just Senior Associate Athletic Director. There's also We talked about the diversity, equity, and inclusion piece. But you picked a very, very you picked two actually, or maybe you were chosen or anointed or destined to the word inclusion and your background is in psychology. So you study the mind, moods and behavior. Inclusion is twofold. It, 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 it's, it's, uh, it's, it can mean different things to different people because there's this tendency to say, Hey, what about me? My perspective matters. My vantage point matters. And so how do we agree to a disagree for a united goal? How fine a line has that been for you? And how do you plan to move for, move folks forward with a unified thought, knowing that perspective is such a powerful word? Yeah, so that's that's a really awesome question because I think that 
you know, honestly, our freedom to express ourselves, um, it kind of runs into other people's uh, value systems and their beliefs in a way. And it, our freedom stops at the point at which they put up a barrier that they're not going to accept us. And mm. so you're right. I mean, I think that first and foremost, we have to create a culture here that essentially says from a foundational piece, this is our expectation of the people who are in this space, right? Mm. If you're expected to do something and you know that that's a foundational component to being a part of an area or a department, then if you don't necessarily adhere to that, then there's discomfort around you. What we found (laughs) is that the exact opposite happens, right? So that essentially when people are not feeling comfortable and there's something, some dimension of their cultural background that makes them feel alienated and people can rally around that, then they just continue to feel like they're not included in a space. So there's really a process that you have to go about. First of all, you do have to have that united goal and a united value system. Uh, What we find is that people's values are traditionally the same, but their beliefs are different. And so where we really connect in a lot of ways is our value. Like we talk about our values here at Nebraska, you know, respect, integrity, teamwork, uh, you know, all these honesty, all these different things. Now, what happens traditionally, though, is that people kind of let go of those uh, values and they start to focus more on their beliefs that, well, I don't think this way of living is correct or I don't think that's correct. And truly, if you go back to those values, if we look at respect, well, what is respect, right? I mean, that's a very foundational uh, thought process of allowing a person to be who they are. And, you know, that's fine. That's who that person is. And you can find some of those common goals that you have with you and that person and focus on those rather than your differences. So it really is kind of going back to creating that foundational piece of inclusivity and saying, this is what our expectation is in this department. If you want to be a part of this department, you want to be a part of this team. These are the things that we have to focus on. And as we focus on those things, what we usually find in each other as we look toward the same direction is a commonality as opposed to a difference because the gaze that we're putting on that goal that's in the, in the, in the distance is that we have some similar things that are actually pulling us toward that goal. It might be that we're both working hard at something. If you think about traditionally a football team, everybody has their different role in their different position, but the truth is that their execution and the way they have to go about preparing for that is traditionally the same, right? So when we can focus on that and we can say, I work differently from you, but I work just as hard as you. And I respect how hard you work, even if I think it might be harder in this other area. Mm. And that's where we can connect. Then we start to focus less on the differences and more on the fact that we're all working hard on something here. And that is at being better. That is working toward being champions. That is working toward representing, you know, the end that people wear here, student athletes, faculty and staff, um, and the excellence that comes with that. Those are the things that we're trying to get people to really focus on and then see the commonalities and the hard work that goes into what you do. And so that's that's really that piece of how, how do we kind of understand that people have their different perspectives, but also bring them together. It's focusing on those really positive things that people are doing to get better in life. And uh, we see each other's humanity when we can see the struggle and the hard time and effort that goes into working at our craft and getting better at what we do. That's where we see each other's humanity. And so that's what we're working on in this department. And we're working on trying to help the state understand that as well. That sounds like a big job. (laughs) (laughs) What are, what are you kind of, I think you laid it out just now, but specifically what have been the, the most, what has been, or do you think will be the, the biggest challenge 
of your role or or maybe a little more specifically like because i can hear the ideology i I think fundamentally it's very hard to disagree with the thought process of respecting one another is the real magic does the real magic happen when although i may not agree there is no outward display of my either my disagreement or my displeasure or because I think sometimes people feel as though they can accomplish that, but then there's this, well, I'm compromising who I am. I'm compromising what I believe in. If there isn't that outward display of not being on the same page from a thought process standpoint. Yeah, so, and and, and, and exactly what you're referring to right now, I think, is where a lot of people That's the rub, struggle. right? Yeah. It is. Absolutely. And the way that you actually break through that resistance is by helping people to see each other's humanity beyond their beliefs. And I mentioned this already. We have to get to that core component of the values that people have and show them that there's a similarity in those values. And then we can get past that belief component. And it's difficult to do. So here's what I here's my expectation. We're going to continue to do this work. And as I mentioned, talking about, you know, supporting the state in this process, I'll just give you an example of that. Right. So one of the first things that I was very fortunate to be a part of here is a program that we started called the red carpet experience. Okay. Yeah. Basically donors provide funds to purchase tickets for people that can't necessarily afford them to go to games. Um, The entire state now, I believe most people in the state know about that program. Okay. They understand that program. Uh, they see what it is, but truthfully underneath it all is a deeper meaning of this idea that first of all, we have a lot of people that live very close to the stadium and are in different communities in the state where they can't afford to go to a football game. And that's not their number one, uh, you know, priority. They have other priorities that are much more important in their life, right? Some of their general basic needs, but to get the opportunity to come to a game and be a part of this bigger thing that is Husker, you know, nation on football game days, that in and of itself is inclusion of those individuals who may not have the opportunity to be a part of the space coming to campus and getting a chance to be on college, you know, on a college campus where some of these communities don't have a high college going uh, percentage of their people in the community, but coming to this place and having a chance to be a part of this, it helps to increase awareness of what college and university is. We are a big 10 educational institution, right? So that is kind of the first step in the direction of helping people to understand that. And and this is the other piece of it. You know, there are people who don't have access to this and you take it for granted. And that in and of itself is a privilege. Mm. Therefore we're helping them to better understand that there are people who want to be here despite what's happening on the field. They want to be a part of this. And to see those people get a chance to come to campus and to hear their stories through some of the news uh, that was reported on that and seeing all of that happen, that is raising awareness of people across the state of the challenges that other people face, right? So it's just a matter of through uh, this project that we've been able to be successful with so far. And now we've brought almost between 2,500 and 3,000 kids to campus um, and people understand what that is and they want to participate in it. They're in essence learning more about people's struggles. And I think that moves them more toward a perspective of understanding their privilege, right? So that's the process. It's, it's not, 
you know, we're not sitting down with people and pushing beliefs on them and saying, you have to accept this. You have to agree with this individual. That's the rub. That's where people mm-hmm. finally see that I'm not going to agree with that. And that's just final. I'm not going to believe in that. It's bigger than that, right? Mm-hmm. It's more about changing people's perspective a little bit at a time. And what we'll eventually do is maybe get someone to uh, invite someone in that is a different culture than them. Go to a cultural event where they're actually learning more about another person's culture. We may highlight some of our student athletes that are from a different cultural background where people will see, hey, not only are you a great uh, you know, basketball player, but you also come from this background that I didn't really know much about. And now I want to learn more about that so I can learn more about you and support you. Right. So it's so much bigger. We do get down to the granular level sometimes uh, where there are teams where there's distinctions and people may not get along or whatever the case might be. But when everything's said and done, it's so much bigger than that. So we, we kind of in our society, I think sometimes we have these sound bites of people that really disagree. But what we don't recognize is that the vast majority of people really can see each other's perspectives, but that doesn't get press. Right. So that's where I'm coming from. There's these much bigger brush strokes that we're trying to work on. And those things are going to eventually provide people with an opportunity to come closer together on perspectives, maybe not see eye to eye quite, but at least inch closer and closer to each other. So then we can open ourselves up to the possibility of seeing each other's humanity. And then we start to uh, be able to uh, affect some change. Mm. I'm thinking of, so I'm listening to this and I like, there's lots of reasons why we wanted to talk to you. Um, number one, just so other centered. You've always mm-hmm. been about other people, whether it was your own foundation, which I believe, if I remember right, you were you were raising funds for folks with special needs um, at, at at the hospital level for kids and. My emphasis, my endorsement is in special education. I'm, I'm mild to moderate K through eight behavior disorder. And so that tugs at my heartstrings because you're talking to two guys that are passionate about young people. The other thing is, is you're so other centered. So when I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm like, okay, and this used to be on my Twitter avatar. So it's in my wheelhouse just because of education, but it's like Maslow's hierarchy, right? Where you have the physiological needs, you have the safety needs, uh, then I think it's love and belonging, then it's esteem, and then self-actualization. So we're wanting people to forward, fast forward to the self-actualization where that's really in essence, they want to be all that they can be without all those little things underneath that are the framework for real growth. At your level, as an overseer, how do you go from macro to micro when you're getting folks at the 17, 18, 19, 20 year of age level where so many things have been ingrained in that hierarchy? Yeah, that's so yeah, that's a that's a really great question. And and the answer to that question is you have to build relationships with these individuals. Um, you're not going to have an opportunity to impact someone unless you have a relationship with them. And that's the vehicle. And what we found, and this is something that I noticed, and of course you likely experienced this as well, is that coaches have a unique opportunity to build a relationship with these young people because of their, uh, their, their position, their influence, all of these different pieces. And so I work very closely with our coaches 
to make sure that, and, and this is why it's incredibly important that they have the best training and that they are really forward thinking when it comes to these issues, because I know I can't necessarily impact the culture the way that a coach can, and I can't impact these individuals the way that a coach can. Um, that's why we have to provide those coaches with, you know, best practice information, great support and everything else. Now, what those coaches can do is allow me to ride in on their credibility that they have with these young people Mm. and provide those individuals with good information. Okay. And that's all I ask of the coaches that Mm. they let me utilize some of their credibility and the access that they have to the minds and the hearts of these young people to also be a part of that process. That is incredibly important. And so what I'll say is that when you're in, you know, college and you're here for the first time and you're going through some of these transitions athletically, academically, socially, whatever, whatever other development you're going through, you're extremely impressionable, you know, and Mm -hmm. especially impressionable through uh, your coach and your coaching and your team. And so I think we have a unique opportunity here because I think that we have students that are going through some transitions where they're looking for answers. They want more information. They want more support. They want to understand why the world is the way that it is. That's what the Academy is about. Teaches us how to think, not what to think. So when we're able to be alongside these coaches and these young people during these processes and provide them with information that gives them more about this is what happens here. This is what's going on there. These are proper terminologies to use. This is what this culture is about. This is what that person that's sitting right across from you. This is what's different about them, but this is also what's the same. I mean, it's actually a really beautiful process because what we find is as you break down these barriers, these teams inevitably become closer and they start to work together. They start to believe in each other. And as you said, as we move toward self-actualization, they start to believe more in themselves, Mm. right? So you're actually increasing that self-esteem. You're increasing that self-efficacy, all these different components. And so again, this is really just kind of a, you know, as you said, how do you take that micro and go to the, how do you take the macro and go to the micro? For me, because I'm a psychologist, I understand all these <laughs> concepts. <laughs> I understand these concepts like wholly. And so, you know, it's not just this DEI work that we're doing. We're actually doing a lot of, uh, you know, self-enhancement development and things like that. And I'm working with all of our staff, our coaches and everyone in our department to help build the culture through better understanding themselves, their challenges and blind spots in the world and everything else. And so my first, you know, two months, I've been here now a little over two months, um, has been all about building relationships because that's the vehicle that I mentioned to you that allows me to then start working more closely with people on believing that we can, you know, start doing some of these things that are very, uh, in my opinion, these are difficult things. And these are things that if we can establish uh, positive momentum in these areas, we're going to be an incredibly difficult department to be across the board. Yeah. If, if you have, so kid from, um, you know, Nebraska is different, right? Obviously from geography and everything. So you have a kid from, um, I don't know, inner city Philadelphia and his teammate, his or her teammate is from the sand Hills of Nebraska. Those are two completely different worlds. Grew up differently. Probably haven't seen a person that looks or feels or acts like them in their life. <laughs> so potentially, yeah, yeah. That and now they're teammates. That's a challenge. Is it, part of I'm I'm correct me if I'm totally wrong, but part of your job is to make that 
kind of come together yeah, Emotion, so, emotionally? Yeah. I mean, and, and again, both of those individuals uh, could be just as different from that person from the other respective right. area as they would be from someone else in their community. Right. right? Yep. And so this is one of the first things that I try to help people to understand is we all are very unique. So even twins are different. We know, mm-hmm. we all know twins and they're different. Right. Right. So first of all, we have to move beyond some of these assumptions that just because I grew up in a different area from you, didn't mean that we didn't have, again, as we go back to this idea of values, uh, we didn't yeah, have the same values in our I, family. I right. Yeah. And so as you look at that person and you might see someone from a physical perspective that looks very different from you, you might realize that you both have, you know, a brother or sister that's of the same age that your parents, you know, may have potentially done some of the same things to support you in your sport. And what's so amazing about athletics is that you have some of these, what I consider to be repeatable categories. I mean, if you're a D one athlete in and of itself, I mean, your journey's probably been similar to the person that's across from you as a D one athlete. You both are committed to that sport. You understand the aspects of it. You gotten here somehow you've been recruited, right? So what we first do is we kind of turn away from some of those differences. We recognize them, we acknowledge them and we respect them, but then we turn toward the similarities and we build capacity because of those similarities. And then I can say, yeah, you know, we're really different, but uh, we both play the same position and we both are playing for this team, you know? And uh, it's beautiful to see that. And I do get an opportunity to step into the space and provide a number of different uh, facilitated workshops where I can help people see past just what they see. Right. Right. And we get to, we get a chance to kind of move past some of the misnomers and the assumptions and, and, and recognize what unconscious bias is. And (laughs) I mean, right. Like we we get a chance to do all those things and I'm working closely with these student athletes on that. And that's, what's going to continue to build in my time here is that every student athlete that steps into this space will understand that the expectation is that they understand what privilege is. They understand what unconscious bias is. They understand microaggressions. They do more of a self-inventory. They recognize their blind spots, and then they work toward reducing those things, you know? So that's that's the expectation as we move forward. Dr. Chatters, you're in a, an extraordinarily important position. As I kind of look at, and it's not just because it's my alma mater or I'm from here or anything like that, but as a minority male thrust in the middle of other alpha type behaviors where typically the guys and gals that you are with are usually the smartest people in the room. A lot of times with you, there's a good chance they won't be. (laughs) And and, uh, you understand human behavior. Are you ever taken aback or given thought to why in some cultures, Predominantly African-American, so let me start there, where it, it, it has ju- it's just now becoming okay to be smart, where you don't have to hide behind having aptitude, where in other cultures, the smarter you are, the, 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 the better you're perceived amongst your peer groups. We seem to be in this unique category of ethnic groups where that is, it has not always been viewed that way. There are just... Inherent struggles within the struggle. Your presence alone commands a different type of thought process immediately. You've apparently become comfortable with that and understand how to handle it. My question is, how did we get here culturally as a group? 
So uh, so I love the smile. So it's not the first time you've either (laughs) heard nor thought about it, but I can't tell you how many times I've said to student athletes that I coach and I come in contact with, Hey, it's okay to thrive in the classroom, right? It's okay. It's okay Mm -hmm. to sound different than other people. It's just the reality of, of where we're at. So, so, and, and let's, let's further qualify that statement or this idea um, let's let's focus in a little bit more on black males and black masculinity, okay? Because I think that's where we have to really center this idea. Um, and what I'll tell you is that growing up, um, you know, I was already ostracized from other African-American black people because of my skin color. And so, you know, I, I was kind of lost on that. And what I'm saying there is that I kind of turned inward and started to really uh, hit the books from a very early age because that was just my escape from bullying and all the other stuff that I dealt with. Folks that can't see me, if you're on the podcast, I have albinism, and so my skin is very light. And in the black community, there's a lot of issues that we have around skin color. And so I was really ostracized early on for that. But what I would say is that what I recognize is that education was something that was going to set me free and allow me to move through different spaces in a way that uh, provided me access where other people didn't have access. And so, huh. um, what I, w- and, and this is, this is basically something that was taught in my household growing up was just that education was the key, um, to your opportunities. And, and I'm sure a lot of other black African-American people learn that as well, but it's just that when we talk about black masculinity and athleticism and everything else, we talk about this idea of how all those things interplay. What are the intersectionalities of being black male and an athlete um, and how you're going to get to that next level. Now, everything would tell us, especially when you're looking at recruitment, that having better grades is going to actually lead in that direction in a much better way. And you're going to have more opportunities. Um, but when we look at masculinity in and of itself, we have this concept of making things look easy that disallows a lot of men, specifically black men, from asking for help when they're struggling with other issues. Mm. If we look at the deeper issue of lack of educational access and other challenges within the black community that have caused the, um, you know, achievement gap and such, then you'll find that these men at some point have to make a decision. Do I continue to be uh, a black male athlete who's going to be successful on the court or the field or wherever um, and, and have that persona that is really aligned nicely with masculinity or do I then branch over into this other area of academics and ask for help, which thereby, uh, you know, uh, invalidates this idea that I'm this perfect guy who's got everything figured out. Right. So I think there's a lot of things that are at play there. The other thing that comes into play and why we've gotten here as a culture is that if you look at it traditionally, what was also highly correlated from within the back black community uh, prior to, and this is, this is where we have to really kind of focus in on this. If you look at prior to segregation or integration, um, so pre 1968, yeah, exactly. Right. Right. (laughs) So traditionally, if we're looking at Brown versus board of education, separation, whatever, separate, but equal in quotes, um, there was black education and there was white education. Right. And so what people started to equate that with was the more we integrated and the more we took on this white education, the less black we became. So now if you think about that, you also have to consider that what was the difference between black and white education and was the white education very different from the black education? Were there other aspects of it that were changing the mindset of black people who were being bused into these neighborhoods uh, where they were getting an education in mostly white schools? Um, And so essentially what I'm saying is that 
the increase of indoctrination, as some people saw it, led to a decrease in black identity, right? So that's where it originally came from. Now, what it led to, of course, and what we saw, of course, the separate was not equal. So now you have people who uh, are going into these other spaces and then coming back into their communities who their communities were believing that they were being indoctrinated in a negative way rather than gaining more education or access to it. And so then they started to rub the, their cultures or their neighbors, their neighborhoods the wrong way because their, their viewpoint was changing on things. Um, and so that's where it started. Now where it continued was just this idea as we talk about masculinity that uh, as, a, as a man, you don't need to ask for help. And so if you're asking for help then you're seen as weak, you're not going to show that you have a weakness. Uh, as a matter of fact, athletics is the exact opposite. You have to be dominant. And so what you found is that athletes specifically – they were excelling in their sport, but in the classroom, there were struggles and they weren't willing to get the help. But then you started to see organizations come in and say, well, if we really want these young men to succeed, and I'm specifically focusing on black men, we have to provide enough educational attainment for them to be eligible, mm. right? <laughs> so now you start to see where, okay, now all of a sudden they recognize, gosh, I can't even play if I'm not eligible and I have to have a certain amount of academic attainment and, and ability to do that. So that's how those things, I think, you know, somewhat started to change. Um, but uh, there's so many stories about people who were just railroaded through high school, uh, college, even in some respects, prior to some of the compliance things that just didn't necessarily have uh, a focus on their education. It was more like they were being used for their athletic ability. And they were okay with that because it was just a struggle for them to be in the classroom and be struggling, but then on the court or the field and excelling, right? So that's where all of that, I think, comes from. I think we're hopefully moving beyond that now. Certainly, of course, you have experienced this, Damon, when you're in a space and people hear you talk, like, oh, you're so articulate, you know, all this other stuff, <laughs> yeah. right? It's like, you know, I mean, we're still dealing with those microaggressions in our society, and we will for some time because of the history of our country. Uh, but I think that hopefully, at least now, we're moving toward this idea that uh, being smart, being educated is not being white. It's just being smart and being educated, you know? So, but there's a little bit of the foundation, I think, of where that came from. Um, and why it continues to persist in some communities uh, where there's limited access to education, um, you know, other opportunities uh, such as gangs, as we talk about Maslow's hierarchy, if safety is important, then who cares about a book, right? right. I'm going to go join this gang because that way I can walk home from school and not get beat up, um, that type of a thing. So there's other factors at play there as well that create some barriers for educational attainment. But uh, that's just my thought process on that. Trust me, uh Student athletes are still getting just railroaded through schools, even in our community here. So, if, I mean, if we're being honest, yeah, it's still happening, which is frustrating. <laughs> so, so let me so let me ask you something here, Doctor Chatters. Is is we'll we'll try to get you out of here here shortly. I stuff just keeps popping yep. up to me. My dad used to always tell me he would say, "You know what, Damon? No real learning occurs until you know what you don't know." But you inherently are in a field where folks are at the top of their either their profession or their their athletic craft. So there are lots of learned behaviors and successful learned behaviors. You're introducing some different tactics, some different thought processes that may be contra may be contrary to other learned behaviors that have allowed folks to achieve success. 
do you find that being an issue as you try to 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 educate the masses so i i again i have to go back to this idea that relationship building is incredibly important so mm. In my process, because I am a psychologist, I work for us to build a working alliance with a person. I get to know them. I understand really what they see as important. And then I really try to craft what I'm going to do for that person and that team to specifically focus on exactly what you're saying. Some of those, uh, you know, if, if there's some best practices and things like that. But what I will tell you is that because of 2020, as we talked about this resurgence of the civil rights movement, um, and at least the thought process about making more progress in that area, um, a lot of people just don't feel like they know enough there. Okay. Mm. So when we talk about knowing what you don't know, <laughs> if you try to sit down with a lot of people uh, that happen to be coaches or in athletics, and you're talking to them about number one, psychological concepts, number two, race relations, diversity, equity, and inclusion, those are two things that not many people are going to say, Hey, I'm an expert in those things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, honestly, I think, uh, this is one of those things that as we bring it into the space and we make it more a part of just what we do here, I think our coaches are really open to it. And, uh, I think they're very hungry to know more of what they don't know, because what we see nowadays, uh, case in point, uh, Gruden, right? Right. Is that if people are utilizing improper language or they're saying things that are uh, sexist, misogynistic, uh, you know, homophobic, whatever the case might be, they can be removed very quickly, right? Mm -hmm. So that provides me with a backdrop of, hey, you need to know what you don't know because you don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to do the wrong thing. Nowadays, student athletes are gaining more power in a number of different spaces and you know, that is, it's, it's, uh, you know, we're talking NIL, we're talking just, you know, some of the, the recent developments within the NCAA and things like that. And I think that our coaches just need to understand that power and how it's uh, manifesting and that you need to know how to treat your student athletes properly. I mean, things like that can be front page news and it can cause issues for you. So I have a number of different uh, things with that are happening right now in the space that are opening up more opportunities for me because I think our coaches want to understand these things. And, and above all, I think people within athletics want to be competitive. Um, and I think this does make us more competitive as a department and it makes our coaches more competitive when they understand these aspects. And you can have a white coach that may have grew up in small town, Nebraska, sit down with the family from wherever that might be a different culture and talk openly about some of these things in an educated way. To me, that's the most impressive thing when it comes to recruitment, right? Mm -hmm. Is that yeah. it's not just bringing in the person that looks like you to talk to you. It's, hey, no, even this person that doesn't look like me understands these concepts and can say things like, we're working consistently with our team and with our senior associate athletic director for diversity, equity, and inclusion to make sure that we create an inclusive environment on the team for your student athlete, despite where they come from, what they look like, what they believe in. And I think that's incredible. Um, I would say that there's probably not a lot of coaches across the country that feel comfortable having those conversations, but our coaches here at Nebraska are going to be comfortable at it and they're going to be able to be competitive with it because I think that's what a lot of people who are sending their kids to a place like uh, Nebraska want to hear. It builds trust. Absolutely. Yeah. Doc, let me, let me get you out of here on this because this is what I keep thinking about. When I, I'm listening to you talk, I can, I can hear the passion. Yeah. Where do the worlds of making yourself vulnerable, 
Because I think when you're building relationships the way that you are, you've already revealed some things about you that have allowed you to be vulnerable. It, it, it's very disarming in the conversation. Where does that meet the educational prowess or kind of that sense of accomplishment acumen when those two worlds have to collide? Because a lot of times those aren't two spaces that <laughs> that coalesce in kind of the Venn diagram. There's not a lot of overlapping there. But to achieve the one, man, it would be nice if you had a little of the other. Yeah, that's 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 a that's an awesome uh, uh, observation. One of the things that's always benefited me is just stepping into a space with a lot of humility and um, a willingness to learn. Uh, I read probably like three books a week, and you don't I'm say. Just... <laughs> <laughs> I've read three books in my life. <laughs> I am I, I am an absolute sponge and it's one of the things that whenever I step into a space, I want to learn everything about it. And that includes stepping into a relationship with a person and getting to know them. Uh, so like you said, being, uh, being a person who's willing to be vulnerable and talk about my failures and my struggles in life, um, I think provides people with enough space for them to say, well, if this guy's going to, you know, be humble enough to talk to me about the things that he's not good at, I know that he's good at a lot of things, but, if he's willing to be vulnerable with me, then at least I can offer something. And I think when they offer something and I can grab a hold of that and we can talk more and get to know each other. One of the first things I did when I got here was sit down with every single head coach mm. and have a conversation with them about why I'm here, what my plans are, uh, and just wanting to get to know them. And that was, that was so valuable for me. And just getting to know the coaches and a little bit about their backgrounds, um, it was really beneficial. And I hope to do that with all of our staff and our student athletes. It's, it's a big, it's a big task. But what I'll tell you is that when I get to know something about every single person in this department, then I can better understand what our culture is in and of itself, because you don't really know what the culture is of the space. You can look at demographic information and stats and stuff like that, but you don't really know until you connect with everybody and you really figure out kind of where they're coming from and where they are. And that's the other thing I have to tell you all is that this is a process. It's not something that's going to happen in a year. It's not something that'll happen in five years. It's a constant process of meeting people where they are mm. and encouraging them to take one or two more steps in the right direction. Um, and, and I think that right direction is just acknowledging that we are different, but we have these commonalities that make us all human beings. And if we can see each other, if we can really focus in on the task at hand, which is being champions and being of championship caliber here in this department, then I think we can all work toward that goal at the same time. And um, it's just been amazing to, uh, to be here at, at this time and to, uh, to work with our athletic director who uh, has just been amazing. amazing at giving me the opportunity to do the work that I need to do. And um, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's wonderful. As you can see, I'm very passionate about this. I, mm. I love what I do and I really love to connect with people. So that's what I do. I, I kind of, I have to really let people know you know, I'm willing to learn who you are and understand your journey. And then if you understand a little bit about my journey, maybe we can meet somewhere along the way and, and kind of go in the same direction at the same time. The, the dichotomy yeah, of, of, of recognizing an individual for what they are as an individual for a common effort to fit with other people. Mm. 
it doesn't sound like those two things naturally go together. I want you to recognize and respect me as an individual. So, hey, we can come together and do this thing for a united front. I was I, I was going to ask, how do you handle pushback or people that you work with that think no and you just you just answered it well and you naturally have to get it and if nothing else i guarantee our listeners out there you can read it yeah right like you would (laughs) be one of the very few people that i would want to try to be phony in front of in a conversation because (laughs) you can just tell this right but it has to be out there and it can't discourage who you are and what you're trying to accomplish. But the reality is not everybody's going to be all in at least sincerely. That's true. And not everybody's going to be all in, but I'll tell you what I think is more people do buy in. And this is how, you know, you build any culture in any space. The people who don't buy in become ostracized. And if the buy-in, if the general consensus and the culture is a culture of inclusion, then those individuals who may have come from areas where they had to say something negative about somebody because they needed to protect themselves and everything else, they'll soon find out that that's just not how we do things around here. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where you start to build that culture on a team is that, Hey, you know, and you all have been in locker rooms before, you know, there's people that set the tone in those areas and um, they say, Hey, that's not how we do things here. You might have a disagreement with that person, but that's not how we refer to those things. We're going to work through it. And we're going to work through it together. And as you build that capacity, then all of a sudden those things that, you know, traditionally would start to really grow in those spaces and have support no longer have that support. You know, it's like the, the concept of the two wolves, you know, you have a good one and a bad one. Which one do you feed on these cultural components? We want to feed the good that's happening on these teams and really point to the positive. And that's how you see teams sticking together despite the challenges that they're facing mm. is that they know that they have to support each other. They don't go back and fall apart when things are bad, they actually get closer together. You know, we call that trauma bonding in psychology, right? So <laughs> Hit you with another jab. On oh, the listen. Uh, I, listen, Doc. I want to, can we be friends? No, you can't go hang out with him. He, he's busy enough. I knew that was coming. Like, like I want... How open is the open door friend. policy? You're yeah. in Lincoln enough. Is it open? Can I just swing through real quick? <laughs> yeah, and all his infinite, all his infinite free time. It's smarter. <laughs> no question about that. If nothing else would be better, people. Yeah. Dr. Lawrence Chatters, one of the best in the business. Um, it's hard Man. to believe that it's only been two months on yeah. the job, especially as fantastic uh, as I know you're going to do. You've got tremendous support. You have an athletic director that believes in you that's going to give you every tool necessary to succeed. And I'm, we're wishing you all the best, man. We don't do it near enough. When I stop down in two weeks, actually next week, I'm going to stop and see you during the bye week. I appreciate that. It's been an honor to be on this show, and I really appreciate what you all are doing. And, uh, you know, thanks for the opportunity. It's Dr. Lawrence Chatters. Knew he would not disappoint. Awesome. We appreciate his time. And, uh, I let's, just listen. Let's go get better. <laughs> yeah. That's pl- that's another week of Plan It Forward. The pod will drop on Thursday. It's going to be hard to top, but uh, we'll continue to do what we do. Uh, he's the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, and very this good suggestion, too, by the way, to hey, make it happen this week. Hey, I just connect people. That's it. My dude, that's Mike Sutter. I'm ODB. We'll be back next week with Plan It Forward. A Huda Media Production.